Generations Church, welcome back as we continue in our series, Prophets and Kings, working through 1 Samuel. We'll be in 1 Samuel 25 today. We're picking up right after what you just heard read, and we're following through this life of David. David has just spared the life of Saul, and David has been a pretty stellar character. He's been a guy who has spared Saul's life, um, fought the giant when God told him to, and also walked away from fights that he could win when God led him away. And so we have been following this and challenging ourselves to, in a sense, kind of be like David. But really, David's not our hero. David just points us forward to Jesus. Jesus is the one who won't let us down. David today makes a mistake. So let me put a a main idea on the screen, and then we'll pick up in the passage. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. The Old Testament points us to Jesus, not just character or moral studies. David fails, and so do we. Our mistakes allow us opportunity to draw near to God. David fails, and so do we. Our mistakes give us opportunity to draw near to God. David has that opportunity today, and so do we. Let's say a quick prayer, and we will get to 1 Samuel 25. God, I pray that you would come. Would you speak? May I get out of the way. Jesus, we're your church, and we need to hear your voice, so it's in your name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house at Ramah. This is the end of Samuel the prophet's life. We opened up with the birth of Samuel, his miraculous coming to a barren mom who prayed day in, day out, year in, year out, to have a son, and then gave this only son off to the priesthood. And he becomes not only a priest, but a prophet of God, becoming an oracle speaker for God. And then he leads us through the people to Saul, who becomes a failed king, and then God's anointing of David, the king that God wanted for Israel. Now it's Eli's end of his life, I'm sorry, Samuel, end of Samuel's life. And as he passes, we remember that people come and go. Leaders come and go. Saul's alive, a failed leader, he will also go. David will come. He will become leader, but he will also go. He, everybody lives and dies. It's what we do while we're here. It's how we live for God in these moments. Now Samuel's day is done. Now we pick up the story and David. Verse 1, and this, uh, verse 2, excuse me. Uh, verse 1, second half of it. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now just quickly, the wilderness of Paran is where Israel wandered through the desert, through the wilderness on the, on the other side of coming out of Egypt. So as they wandered, it's this wilderness, this tough area that, Il, that, that Israel wanders through, that God takes them through, and then arrives, they arrive at the land God gives them. Interestingly, David goes out to the wilderness where Israel wanted out of, right? He goes out to the wilderness, and he finds his comfort and his solace there from God. Uh, this happens over and over again, this, this place where David meets with God. Verse 2. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Now, Caleb actually is a really cool figure in Israel's history uh, along with Joshua. There's nothing wrong with Caleb, but that's the descendant Well, that's who Nabal is a descendant of. 
But we're introduced to two people here, Abigail, a beautiful and discerning woman, and Nabal, who functionally is a jerk. He is badly behaved, right? This setting right here kind of reminds me of, and you know you've all done it, so you see the girl, and she's a beautiful girl, maybe got a lot going on for her in life, and then you see the jerk she's with, and you're like, she could do better, right? That's this. That's Nabal and Abigail. That's it, right? Abigail, she could do better. Verse 4, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear you have shearers. Now, your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. So it's a weird kind of a, like, hey, we didn't steal from you. Well, okay, well, everybody's not supposed to steal from you. But the situation is actually very different. They're out in the wilderness of Paran. It's an area that's not safe. And what David is saying, listen, not only did we not steal from you, we actually protect, protected your sheep your goats, and your shepherds. And while they were among us, remember his hundreds of fighting mighty men, if you will, right? Hundreds of people able to do this, and this man has shepherds. That can't be that many. And they were safe while they were around us. Not just we didn't steal, but we protected them. Verse 8, David says, Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. That last part, and to your son, David. Now, think about who David is in this, in, in, in this passage and, and at this place in time. David is heir to the throne per God and per Samuel the prophet. David is heir to be king of Israel, but he doesn't live that way. He, he lives that way when he protects people and cares for people, but he never asserts his rights or authority. In fact, he protects these shepherds, but when he talks to the, the, the man who owns all the sheep and the goats who the shepherds work for, he says, your son, David, he comes in this posture of humility to this man, Nabal. He says, peace to you and peace to your family, peace be upon you. And in your shepherds and your sheep and your cattle, your, the, the, the animals you own and your business, your interests were with me. We had peace. Nothing you had went missing. I come in peace and in humility. That's how David approaches Nabal. Verse 9. When David's young men came, when they actually got to Nabal, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? That's that line where, like, David who, right? And now you've got to understand the setting. David killed Goliath the giant. David was brought into the house of Saul. David was given Michael uh, the daughter of Saul as a wife, whom Saul takes back, by the way, just as a side note. Uh, but David is well known. He's a known quantity. But Nabal, just said, like David who? Like, who's that? Never heard of that guy. But of course he's heard of him. David is, uh, Nabal is being incredibly disrespectful to David, who David, when with all the power and with all the men and with all the might, 
comes in humility, saying, your son David, this way of humility. Nabal responds, uh, uh, responds, as we know, he's a jerk, right? He's just that guy. And so he is responding in that way. David's just asking, listen, it's time. It's a feast time. It's a festival time. It's a time when we would celebrate, but we're here in the wilderness. We don't have that. Would you be able to spare things? We've been protecting your sheep and your shepherds, your goats, and caring for you. Would you be able to return the favor and care for us? And Nabal's like, David who? Who are you? I'm not going to help you. There are all kinds of people. Why should I take from my shepherds, and why should I help you? Verse 12, so David's young men turned away and came back and told him, meaning David, all of this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. Here's the deal. David has about 600 men that are worthy of a good fight, an army of 600 men. 400 of them get booted and suited. Man, they are ready to go and fight well, 200 stay back and guard whatever it is that they own, right? So every man strap on a sword. David is ready to go and murder Nabal for this disrespectful, arrogant, lacking in help, right? This, who is David? We're like, I'll show you who David is, right? So what happens here? Honest answer. David's had enough of being the nice guy, right? Consider David's story. David goes up, and as a child, a young teenager or something, he goes out and does what a soldier or a king should do and takes on the Philistine Goliath. He's then welcomed and greeted, but then Saul hears the Saul is slain his thousands, and David is 10,000. Saul gets all jealous up in his feelings and, and starts to hunt David, and David's done nothing wrong. But David, instead of fighting back, which he could have, David allows it, and David honors Saul at every turn. As David is kind of moving about, hiding from Saul in a way, when he hears about people being attacked by Philistines, he goes and helps them. When he hears about people that are poor and struggling, he helps them. He's Mr. Nice Guy. And then when Saul comes after him, he retreats. He could probably beat Saul at this point, but he retreats. He follows what God says. And we've said this each week as we followed David. The first thing David does, God, what would you have me do? This is another situation. God, what would you have me do? In this case, it's fight. In this case, it's retreat. Whatever it would be. Now, in this moment, we don't get that. David extends himself. Hey, listen, I've been caring for your people and for your animals and all that. We just need something to eat. And this guy is so disrespectful. David gets ready to fight. He wants to go and kill him. He doesn't ask God. He doesn't do any of that. He falls short here. He is tired of doing the right thing. Now, I know, and you know, you get to that place. You're like, I'm trying to do everything right. And then something is that final straw. And for David, the final straw here isn't Saul, that, that he knows he is not to kill. God has made that very clear. Don't kill Saul. I got Saul. I got, I'll, I'll care for you. It isn't the Philistines. Like Every time David has faced the Philistines, he beats them, right? It's not that. But even the people, like as he went and defended Keilah last week, then they were going to give him up to Saul, according to God, right? So he knows that not everything he's done has been reciprocated. Now he's cared for this man just out of kindness, just because he's a good guy. And this guy's a jerk. And David's like, man, that's it. I'm going to go murder this dude. Like I'm killing everybody when I get there. 
and he straps up with all his guys, and they're ready to go. That's this moment. He's just done doing the right thing. So here's a note for you. Everyone falls short. Jesus alone is perfect. The rest of us make mistakes. Today is about recovering from failure and how God often protects us from ourselves, right? Jesus alone is perfect. You're not, I'm not. David's not. David's never been the hero of this story. David just points us forward to Jesus. That's all he does. And he does so through prophetic images and through king images that God wants to teach us. But David falls short. David falls short here. He's had enough. He's been doing the right thing. He's been taking it on the chin, and he is tired of it. And Nabal is just one smart aleck dude too many. And so he kind of loses his moment to be godly was to just walk away and know this guy's a nobody. But he just doesn't. He can't. He just sins in this moment. He chooses, like I'm taking things in my own hands because I'm tired of always doing the right thing and really not being treated fairly. Verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master and he railed at them. You know it's bad when somebody goes and tells your wife on you, right? That's, that's this time. The servants of Nabal hear this and they hear Nabal's response and they know, like, they know who David, everyone knows who David is. And they recognize, like, David's a force to be reckoned with on his own, nevertheless with hundreds of fighting men. And they hear the disrespect from Nabal and so they tell Abigail, hey, David sent men and Nabal snapped. He railed at them. He berated them. He was disrespectful to David. Implication is, David's not going to take this very well. Verse 15, yet the men were very good to us, when we, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields. As long as we went with them, they were a wall to us by night and by day. All the while, we were with them keeping the sheep. So what we learn here, David doesn't go in and tell Nabal, hey, listen, the reason you have all your sheep is because of me. Like, I took care of you. But the shepherds now go say, the, the people that work for Nabal say, listen, the reason we have all our sheep is because David protected us. When we were with him, they hemmed us in from everybody, like a wall around us, and we lost nothing. They protected us. They gave us security. We were out there, and we just moved with David. We just stayed with him because he was protecting us. So again, Nabal's disrespect and Nabal's lack of kindness is gigantic here. Consider how wrong David would feel, how wronged, how mistreated David would feel. You spend your time caring for people, and then when they have an opportunity to help you, nothing, right? Kind of like he did for Saul. I mean, he's been helping Saul and befriends his son, and then Saul wants to kill him and, and lies and, and, and pursues him. He goes to Keilah, and he defends this city from the Philistines. He beats back the Philistines, but then he's in Keilah, and he hears that Saul is coming. He asks God, like, will, will the people in Keilah, will they deliver me to Saul, or will they stand with me? And God says, no, they'll, they'll, they'll betray you. So David keeps feeling this betrayal, and this contributes to him in this moment not asking God what to do, because really, if we're being honest, when we do it, I'm not going to ask God what to do because I don't want him to tell me to do something other than this is what I want to do, right? I want to go, I'm going to kill Nabal. I'm going to take out all his men. I'm going to, I'm going to take out how I feel on him. 
Even though it's not all about Nabal, he did his wrong, but it's about Saul, it's about Keilah, it's about a lot of things. But if I ask God, he'll point out how wrong I am in this moment, and he'll call me to do the right thing again, but I don't want to. I want to go do the wrong thing. That's where David is. That's a place you and I can relate to David. Remember, David's stories are not about us being like David. They're pointing us forward to redemption in Christ. He points us forward, and he is the great, 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 great grandfather that brings us David, uh, that brings us Jesus, excuse me. It's not about David. David's not our hero. Just like I'm not the hero of the story, you're not the hero of the story. We point to Jesus in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools. We point others to Jesus. When we become the hero of the story, then we let people down because we're flawed, right? When we become the hero of the story, we're taking focus off of Christ. When we point forward to Jesus, we're doing what we're called to do. David has that moment of failure. We all do it. We all sin. We all fall short of what God calls us to. This is David's moment. He's a great example most of the time. 99 times out of 100, David's doing the right thing. This moment, not so much. Kind of snaps. Verse 17. Now therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all our house all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. He says, listen, here's going to be the outcome. David's going to come in and murder Nabal for fun, right? And David will finally just, and I want you to think through this. So not only will David do that, and the servant is telling Abigail, we don't have a shot. David shows up coming in hot. It's over and we're done, right? And he'll wipe us all out. But think about what happens there. So David's going to come in, and he's going to do something wrong. He's going to sin against God. Yeah, against Nabal, but kind of Nabal has it coming, right? But against God. David's also going to finally give Saul a moment where David is wrong, and Saul has something actually that David did wrong. Not fake, real. In fact, there's also going to be that place where David falls short of God, and God has this. Like God has against Saul, God will say, listen, David, you can't control yourself, right? You look through the impact of this. David will no longer be the moral leader, the leader that Israel needs. He will be just another dude when he gets power, will use it for his own benefit and not restrain himself. Yeah, it'll feel good to strangle the life out of Nabal, but the outcome is it ruins who David is. When we get to that place where we just don't want to do the right thing anymore, it's more than this moment. It's more than, it will feel satisfying to choke the snot out of, out of Nabal, right? It's more than that. It's, I'm going to let God down. I'm going to let my family down. I'm going to let people down. I'm going to ruin who I am and who I am in God's plan for me and who I can be to other people who might see Jesus through me down the road. But all that goes away when I take it out right here. And David's at that moment. And David has decided to do the wrong thing. Verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sails of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. So we know Abigail is beautiful and she is discerning. That's what I said early. And now she has food. She's the perfect woman. 
right? Here she goes. She knows what's going on. She grabs together the food. This is what David has asked for. Like, hey, I'm just going to go and do what Nabal should have done. I'm going to go bring the food that his men need. He's been protecting our men. Our men care about him. Our men said he's been protecting them. And Nabal's just a jerk. So I'm going to go and do what David asked. Verse 19, and she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. So here it is, right? She has not told her husband, because he's a jerk, what she's going to do. But she does what David has asked. Now David's riding in, 400 dudes, booted and suited, ready to go, sword strapped on, ready to fight. He's coming in. She's headed out to meet him. She sends her men on ahead of her. And then here she comes to meet David. Here's that space, right? Almost think, here's that moment. David is headed in his head. David has committed the sin he's about to commit. In his head, he's committed to doing it. He hasn't yet done it. And that's what's important. David is on his way to make an epic failure. But the story, not the story, the lower story, what's going on on the planet Earth, if you will, but the upper story, what God is doing is God is providing a way to prevent David from blowing it in this moment. And that way is Abigail. Abigail is riding out with what David needs. Now, David could say, listen, Nabal deserves it. And he does. But still makes David wrong. Or he could stop and say, okay, well, I got what I needed. What does David do? And, and this is where we got to find ourselves in the story. When we get to that space where we're tired of doing the right thing and, and we go this direction, often point, there's a checkpoint. There's often that thing before we go over the edge that there's this window that God provides for us that we can do the right thing. That's this moment right here. Verse 21, now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So David's up in his feelings. Let's just be honest, right? Like David is... David's over the edge, right? He has already seen the death of Nabal by his hand in his own head, and he's riding in high. He's ready to do this, right? And he's like cursing Nabal as he goes, like, man, you know, ah, every one of them is going to, like anything that breathes, I'm taking out. And David has snapped. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Remember David's humility to Nabal, your son David, peace be with you, peace be on your house, peace be on your people, peace be on all that is yours. I come, I ask this, would you help your son David, your servants? David comes humbly, the only person more humble in this passage, then David is Abigail. And she rides up on a donkey and she falls face first on the ground. And she says, listen, I'm to blame. Not Nabal, I'm to blame. All the guilt's on me. Will you please hear me out? Her humility is amazing in this moment. She comes and takes that blame and says, listen, please, will you hear me out? Verse 25, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is name, 
and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. So there's kind of a joke that's lost in English. So Nabal is the man's name. Nabala is the Hebrew word for foolish or idiot. She kind of makes a word play, a name play on his name. You lose it in English. But here's what she's saying. Listen, here it is, right? I, I, you know, just like his name is, so is he. So she's pretty, she brings food, and she's got jokes, right? Like, I, I, she's all right. So Abigail shows up to kind of calm down David. David's riding in hot. He has sworn to murder everyone. Verse 26, I want to read you a, kind of a longer passage, and then we'll summarize it. Now then, my Lord, Abigail speaks. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, and from saving with your own hand, taking salvation into his own hand. Now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out from as the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you the prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Here's what happens. Abigail rides out to a steaming hot David coming in to murder Nabal and everything that breathes. And, Nabal, uh, and, and Abigail, wife of Nabal, comes out and she face down, humility, humbles herself, says, let me take the blame. If you would be pleased, let me take the blame. Let me give you what you asked for. And will we and, and allow me to prevent you from blood guilt. Allow me to make it right and prevent you from going and taking salvation into your own hands. And let me take this one. She says, I pray that then the Lord do to you, my Lord, when he lifts you up to the throne of Israel that you, that the Nabal will be nothing. And then in that end, when that happens, will you just remember me? This is so gospel in this moment, right? This is so Jesus before God for us, where Jesus goes and said, listen, I have lived a life. I have lived a life without sin. I am the one who deserves heaven, but all of humanity, Jeff, you, Alex, whoever, they all deserve death. They all deserve it. They're like Nabal. But Jesus says this, but God, please blame me instead of them. Let me take the penalty. Let me satisfy the penalty for their sin and let me stand in the gap. And when you see them, will you just see me? And I want you to hold nothing that they've done against them. That's the gospel, that God created us and loves us, but we've abandoned God. We sin. We go choose to be our own gods, our own little lords and kings of our own life. But then being at fault, being wrong, being Nabal. We're Nabal, by the way. If you've missed that, we're Nabal. Maybe David on a good day, but we're Nabal. We're sinful. We're corrupt. We're, in, we're deserving of death. But Abigail, like Christ, 
Or let me rephrase, let Christ, like Abigail does, goes and stands in the gap for us and looks at God the Father and says, take it out on me. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus was crucified. That's why Jesus was laid in a grave, that his, his sacrifice, his substitutionary atonement would take the place for our guilt. And then as Jesus resurrects from the grave, he says, give them that new life. Let them have new life in me. The gospel is that, that Jesus covers our sin, takes our blame, becomes our penalty, becomes our sacrifice. Like Abigail laying prostrate before David saying, listen, please don't kill him. Take me. Abigail shows this incredible grace and offers David a way out. Now, Back to the David and Abigail story. David is on his way to be sinful and to completely blow it and maybe future ruin his life. For sure, ruin his obedience and ruin his witness to Israel. And Abigail, sovereignly used by God, gives him this moment. What do you and I do when we have this moment? We're running headlong into sin. We feel justified because I did the right thing here and I did the right thing here and then this dude, but this dude right here. And we just want to go and do what we will say is our right to do. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, depending on the circumstances. But God says, but you don't have that right in me. You don't have the right to blame me and do the wrong thing because God has never let us down. And that moment when we realize, okay, one more step, and I'm over the edge, and I, I, it's too late. But this step, I have this choice. I have this opportunity. I have this moment. The question is, what will David do? And what do we do in that moment? Verse 32, and David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. Abigail saves, saves Nabal from David. Abigail also saves David from David. And ultimately, God uses Abigail to save David from epic failure. This moment here, David stops and says, thank you. Because by morning, there wouldn't have been a heartbeat in camp. I'd have had them all. But you've given me this breath, this moment to stop. Here's a note for you. God protects his own. When your life is about God, you will still make mistakes. But God isn't there with lightning bolts to, to penalize you, to take it out on you. God is there to protect us even from ourselves if necessary. God is there to protect us, not to penalize us and throw lightning bolts and zap us when we do wrong things. God is there to protect us, sometimes even from ourselves. David is David's problem right now. It's not Nabal, it's not Saul. David is David's problem. David gets tired of doing the right thing every time and just wants to do the wrong thing this time. But he's given an opportunity. He's given that moment of grace and he takes it. He takes that opportunity to walk it back. Has he sinned in his heart already? Totally. Everybody in town is dead in his head, in his heart. But he hasn't done it yet. And Abigail gives him that opportunity to walk it back. Verse 35, then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace 
to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. This gospel message, this grace intervention, this moment where God saves David from David and, and does the same for us, this space where Abigail says, take the blame out on me, even though I didn't do it, we remind ourselves that Jesus says, take the blame out on me, God, even though he didn't do it. And then we get this, we get this free kind of mulligan do-over kind of repeat as if it had never happened. How do we do that? And how do we learn to live out the lessons of this in our lives? I want to give you a couple things. First is 1 Peter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, meaning God. He himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By Christ's suffering, by Christ's wounds, you and I, we have been healed. He suffered so that we might live. Here's a note for you. Jesus alone is the sinless Savior. We are faint copies at best on our best day. We get to be faint copies of Jesus sometimes to those around us, but Jesus alone is the sinless Savior. His sinlessness, his sinlessness or his sinless life, excuse me, sets us free from our slavery to sin. Jesus is Savior. David is not. I am not. You are not. Jesus alone is sinless. And his sinlessness gets to be ours and give us life. Hebrews 12 says this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Hebrews says, listen, Jesus endured to death. Remember him who endured. And then the author reminds us, and you have not yet endured to the point of dying. See, David hadn't died. In fact, God had protected him with every step. David just loses it and wants to do the wrong thing. We just give up wanting to do the right thing and do the wrong thing. We haven't endured to the place of death. That's the author of Hebrews' point. So our struggle, here's a note for you. Just like Jesus, we too will suffer in life. We aren't called to die for our faith, but we are called to live a life of sacrifice and submission. We're not to die to save ourselves. Jesus covered that. We don't need to die for our faith. Will, will some people be martyred for their faith? Sure, not here, right? That's not our lives. Some will. But that's not our calling. But we are called to live a life of sacrifice and submission. We are called to do the right thing each time because God says do the right thing each time. We're called to do that because Christ did the right thing every time and took our penalty. So we respond by living a life of sacrifice and submission. Philippians 3 says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here's our note. Having Jesus today is better than having the wealth of the entire world. Having Jesus eternally is beyond our comprehension. What we get in Christ is better than what we get in this world. What David would have received from the satisfaction, the temporary moment of taking out Nabal would have been short-lived because he would have had to turn around and face God with blood on his hands, knowing he did wrong. What we gain from Christ overcomes all of that. 
What we gain from Christ is better than the wealth of this world, and what we gain eternally is beyond our comprehension. To live is Christ. To die is gain. What we gain in Christ, is, it surpasses this world. Now, I want to finish a bit of the passage. I want you to hear how the story plays out. Verse 36. And, and Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, and like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. You can totally think this. That passage got better, right? Nabal died, and the story is totally better. You can feel that way. He was a jerk, right? We got to learn our lesson from David, and Nabal doesn't get away with it. It's kind of a win-win, right? Nabal dies because God says, you know what? What you did was wrong, and I stopped him from killing you. That takes the guilt off of his hand, but you're not getting away with it. We have to trust God with the penalty out there, and if God had forgiven Nabal and Nabal became a great guy, we have to trust that that's the right outcome, but let's be honest. Nabal dies, kind of cool. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. You know, sometimes it just pays to be the good guy, right? God makes the penalty. David is absolved of what he was going to do. And ultimately, God honors David and blesses him, and Abigail becomes his wife. See, Saul withholds or withdraws his daughter from David and gives her to another man. And so David, again wronged, ends up with a really cool girl that brings food and got jokes, right? It's a good day to be David. Let that be us. Let us be the ones who trust that whatever the plan is, God's got better for us. Let us be the ones that know I haven't suffered to the point of death, but Jesus died for me. I will go and do the next right thing that God calls me to do. And when I get tired of being the right thing, doing the right thing, being the guy who does the right thing, I'll remember Jesus must have been really sick and tired of doing the right things when I was doing all the wrong things. And I trust that Christ is better than everything else. And so then we pick ourselves back up and we do the next right thing because that's what's right. Generations Church, will you pray with me? God, forgive us for when we think we are right and we're actually wrong. Forgive us when we're like, I'm tired of suffering, and you're like, I gave my son for you. Forgive us when we think, I should go do this. And we miss out the idea that, God, you should have done more than that to us. Forgive us because we only see our broken, flawed perspective of this life and our fuse is short, and our feelings get hurt, and then we get fired up, and we want to do the wrong thing. Help us to remember that Jesus lived a life of sacrifice, a life of submission, and he did so so that we could have life in him with you. So we then give it all away. We submit to you. We sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed in this life, knowing we get the better end of the deal anyways. God, you always bless your people even in this moment when we may not feel like it, you always bless us and it's better than we could have ever done. So thank you, Jesus. You're our sinless savior. I am not, we are not, 
You alone are. David isn't. Samuel isn't. You alone are a sinless Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.